I told uh, Lucy that the amount of money that she wanted to make, I told her there was no way she was going to make that little money, that she was going to make at least three times that. And I was wrong. Her first month, she made five times that and has never gone lower than that again since. Hello, and welcome to the art of selling online courses. We're here to share winning strategies and secret hacks from top performers in the online course industry. My name is John Ainsworth, and today's guest is Lucy. Lucy Bella Simpkins started English with Lucy in 2016 in her university bedroom. It is now the largest English-speaking YouTube channel in the world with nearly 10 million subscribers. And in 2021, she started producing English courses. Now, today we're going to be talking about Lucy's story, how she built English with Lucy, mistakes she made along the way, how we started working together, what she's been doing in terms of email marketing and funnels, and what she's been able to build. And I just want to remind you, before we get into that, we've got an offer going on at the moment where if you go to pimpyourfunnel.com and fill out the form there, then we're going to pick 10 people this month who we're going to do free funnel reviews for. We do these video funnel reviews that are about half an hour breakdown of everything in your homepage, your sales page, your checkout page that you need to change in order to be able to make more revenue. We normally charge about $1,000 for these, but we're going to give away 10 this month to listeners of this podcast. So go to pimpyourfunnel.com, fill out the report and see if you get that valuable funnel review of your funnel. Lucy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I, I do have to correct you on one thing. I'm not the largest English speaking YouTuber. I know. I said that and I was I, like, shit, I, do I need to re-record this intro? Lose English teaching. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> I think Mr. Beast would be a little bit annoyed if, um, <laughs> if I tried to claim that. <laughs> no, English teaching, unfortunately. English teaching. But yeah, we're very nearly at 10 million subscribers, which is unbelievable. So talk us through, who do you help? What kind of problem are you solving for them? So with our online courses, we help Anglophiles. So people who really like English and enjoy learning it. But then we also have a different type of student, which is people that really don't enjoy English. They feel they have to learn it. Um, and so we try and make it as fun as possible. And luckily it caters to those two types of students. And we're normally going for kind of intermediate to advanced learners. We have three main programs, intermediate, upper intermediate and advanced. And yeah, they're an awesome group of students. We started off with a pronunciation course and now we've headed more into grammar and speaking. Nice. So talk us through, go back to the beginning. How did you get started with English with Lucy? Well, English with Lucy started off as a little experiment in my bedroom at university. So back in 2014, I was doing a marketing degree I was 19 at the time, which does give away my age a bit. Yeah, I was 19. I had moved to Madrid to do a marketing placement year, but it all went wrong. And when I got there, the company had shut down and I was too late to re-enroll in university. So I had to wait out a year in Spain. And the only job I could get was um, doing a TEFL qualification and teaching English. Uh, but it ended up being quite a nice thing because I had I actually really, really enjoyed it. Fell in love with teaching, uh, but found teaching grammar pretty hard because I'd never really studied it at school. And so I started watching grammar videos online on YouTube to try and kind of mimic the way other teachers taught it, try and kind of inhale and regurgitate what they said. And I just found the videos a little bit underwhelming in general. Most teachers were talking to the camera as if it were a classroom of students rather than that 
one-on-one connection that you get when you watch an independent YouTuber. And I just had this little niggle in the back of my head. I thought, oh, do you know what? I think I could do that because I really like marketing. I quite like performing and I also love teaching. And so I nurtured that idea for a while, went to my dad, explained the idea, asked him if he would possibly help me out with a business loan to make videos in my bedroom. And he (laughs) didn't immediately (laughs) say yes, I must say, but he asked for a business plan. And I put together this really, really crappy business plan. I'd love to see it now. And we basically worked out that I needed 500 quid to get a secondhand camera, lens and tripod, as long as I paid him back with interest, which I did. And yeah, in January 2016, I posted my first video. And within the first year, we hit about 100,000 subscribers, just over. Uh, In the second year, 1 million, which was an awesome year. Um, And now we're about seven years in and it's been an awesome journey. Now, most people who start a YouTube channel don't hit 100,000 subscribers in year one. So what was different? What were you doing there? So it was a slow start. The one thing that I had in my favor was I went in at exactly the right time. There really was a need for kind of this new wave of English teachers and other English teachers came in at the same time. And there was like this group of us trying to do something new. But I think... Nothing really happened for my first 10 to 12 videos. So I actually took a break over my final exams at university. And I thought, oh, maybe this isn't going anywhere. I was making a little bit of money, but nowhere near, you know, what what I'd need to survive in London. Whilst I was on this break, I noticed something on my analytics. One video took off and it was a video that I posted months before and it was really unexpected. And it started to get really high views every 48 hours. This is the the real-time view stat, which is a really important metric that we still use very frequently when planning our content schedule now. And we noticed this video getting a consistent amount of views per 48-hour period. So it was something like 12,000 per 48 hours consistently over time. And I suddenly realized this must be the algorithm and I've got to work out why it's happening. So I really, I dived deep into the algorithm. I started really studying the performance of my own videos, the performance of other people's videos with various plugins. I was using things like vidIQ to see other people's real-time views, all perfectly legal, just not a known tool. And then started to build a content strategy around that. And then the, the channel just took off once I mastered that. I say mastered, it's like a constant peak and trough with the algorithm because you finally get good at it. As long as you're first, it's fine. Then other people catch on and then it doesn't, the algorithm doesn't like it anymore. So it's constantly finding this next thing that that is going to draw people in and, and keep them and then cause YouTube to keep spitting your videos out to a fresh audience. And how do you think that compares to the SEO game for those people who kind of been playing that. Do you know, like, cause I guess you've never really done a lot around SEO in terms of, you know, Google, Google search. So we're so green with SEO. We've started about a year ago working with an SEO guy. Is that the technical term? <laughs> an SEO guy. <laughs> and um, yeah, I can see some similarities. An SEOist. An SEOist. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An SEO-nista. <laughs> one of them. One of them SEO people. Yeah. One of them. Yeah. For me at the moment, the SEO seems so much more transparent in some ways yeah. and so much murkier in other ways. 
but it follows the same kind of algorithmic trend where people find sneaky ways to get ahead and then they bec- those sneaky ways become blacklisted and you're having to find something new. So I think it it's all much of the same in the end. Do you feel there is a lot of that kind of sneakiness with the YouTube stuff as well? Like how much of it is around like make the best possible video with the best quality and all of this kind of thing? And how much is like sneaky tricks? I wish it was all about the quality of video. Sometimes <laughs> I really wish it was. But um, unfortunately, that's not the name of the game here. Videos that I have poured my heart and soul into and you know, I think they are like the best lesson I've ever made, sometimes just don't perform and it's heartbreaking until mm. I rebrand them and repackage them with a clickbaitier um, thumbnail and title and then suddenly they pop off. It is frustrating. I've definitely gone through periods of overshooting on the kind of clickbaitiness and sneaky tricks. I've also gone through periods where I've kind of shunned it and then I've undershot as well. It's about constantly finding that balance. But there are lots of tricks we use or have used in the past. I can't say that they'd work now, but they really helped with us us get our channel off the ground. For example, once I posted a top 100 words you might mispronounce or something like that video, and I accidentally missed out number 29. I can't remember what happened. I think... I either made a mistake and cut it out or I forgot to film it. So it was quite a long list and I wasn't using an auto cue at the time. I was just reading each word and memorizing it and saying it to a camera. And um, so I just thought, oh, no one's going to notice. I mean, my average watch time is like five minutes anyway, so no one's going to notice. But what happened was this barrage of comments coming through an engagement, forced engagement of people acting as if their life was over because I hadn't included number 29. <laughs> I love looking back at the comments on this video. It's like, oh my God, you missed out number 29. I can't believe you've done this to me. I must know what it is. And that was something really interesting because the video then immediately went viral and and performed really well over time. And it goes back to that real-time views metric I mentioned before. I don't want a video that gets a million views in a day and then flatlines. I would much prefer a video that gets 20,000 views per 24 hours consistently for like the next five years that's going to be my bread and butter that's going to bring Mm. in consistent passive passive income rather than just one peak and um and it's healthier for the channel you get fresh eyes constantly rather than all at once so we noticed things like that like inserting intentional mistakes so we we started doing that on purpose every now and again also in short form content that can work quite well It, it forces a lot of engagement in a pronunciation video, I might do 10 words that are really, really hard to pronounce, but number seven is actually really easy. And then a load of smart asses will 10 be 10 like, words that are hard to pronounce. Hell? You'll never believe number seven. Exactly. And then <laughs> number seven, you make it so easy <laughs> that the smart asses just can't help but say, excuse me, number seven is actually so easy. Like I've said this my whole life. And you're just there rubbing your hands together like, yeah, come on, baby. Tell me how easy it is. <laughs> And it, again, it forces engagement. Is it immoral? I don't know. I think you've got to do like a little, a, a few things like this and have some fun with it and then engage in the comments. Don't gaslight people. Say, yeah, you know what? I missed out number 29, things like that. But yeah, that was really good. Now it's kind of, we've noticed a lot more work on the things on the thumbnails work. For example, if I'm doing a video on the word the, I might put an example where it works in British English but it doesn't work in American English 
put a big X by the American English one and then a load of people will come on and say oh my god I can't believe it and then they'll watch it and it's actually a really good video so you're kind of like rage baiting in a way you want people Mm. to think they're going to be outraged and then you immediately switch and they actually really enjoy the content because it is a genuinely good video behind that initial thing so it's kind of like the reverse of catfishing (laughs) (laughs) it's like you want to show something that's going to make people feel like they they could be pissed off and then afterwards you're like oh no you love me really didn't you yeah in a way so we tried not to do this for all of our videos we probably do one in four like that we try to divide our content into three pools in like this big Venn diagram of content, uh, the stuff that works for the algorithm. But if you did that all the time, people would really catch on. They wouldn't enjoy the content. You've got to make sure the content behind that facade is is good enough. Then you make the content that your audience really wants. Like probably a really intense grammar video is not going to bring in a load of new videos, uh, new viewers, but it is going to keep those subscribe viewers really happy. That's what they mm-hmm. want. And then the last one is is doing stuff that you want to do that makes me happy, that makes me feel proud of of my content. Because if I neglect that, um, then I start to really lose motivation and burnout's a a very real thing. But yeah, it's like a constant road of discovery with what content is right to push and it's always changing. All right, so you've become a YouTube badass. You've built up loads of uh, massive audience. Because the the video probably doesn't show it in the audio neither. When I said that she'd become a badass, Lucy Lucy turned away with a little like, "Oh, can't believe you're saying that about me." <laughs> but Lucy's such I a don't badass. Think... No one's called me a badass in my life. I actually really liked it. Say it again. <laughs> it's funny because it's. I think what people. I hope people can tell is that we just have a lot of fun uh, with making the content, and I think that's that's why I've been able to go on and keep a consistent audience for so long is because there's a lot of fun injected in there as well nice all right so you've become youtube badass you have uh, got this big audience how did you then transition into making courses what was the next step so at this point i know i'd say i probably had about four to five million subscribers and um which by the way subscribers aren't actually that big a deal you can have people with 100 million subscribers only getting 10,000 views per video but it's a good kind of milestone and benchmark for when certain things happen Uh, they used to be very important not so much anymore but yeah so around 5 million subscribers I was making really good money my age and compared to everyone else around me I was making lots of money from ad revenue sponsorships affiliate links and I was really happy but I had heard and I I had always really been interested in making a pronunciation course because my uh, pronunciation videos were really really popular and it was also something I was fascinated by and I I was doing a lot of research on pronunciation and um, really enjoyed it so I started working with a talent management agency I got a manager because that's what lots of my friends were doing I was friends with lots of other influencers not necessarily other educators or course creators and they were getting these management agencies that were getting them these awesome brand deals awesome merchandise deals and things like that and I thought well that's not that must be the next step for me and this was actually a huge mistake because it was totally the wrong business model for me you can only grow so far with brand deals and you're only really as good as your next brand deal contract 
Whereas creating your own IP, creating your own content, creating your own courses and education businesses, that's, I mean, the sky's the limit. When I went to this manager and he said, you know, what are your kind of ideas for the future? And I said, well, do you know what? I think I'd really like to produce a pronunciation course. I could literally see the dollar signs in his eyes and he was thinking, brilliant. Okay, great. He came up with this deal where he had put in a certain amount of money. I think it was, it, it wasn't very much actually in exchange for 20% of the business. And I thought it was a good deal, even though it wasn't. I didn't really have anyone as a sounding board. And I went ahead with this, gave away this equity. Then it turned out that he didn't. And we also used that money to pay for the lawyer's fees to sort out how he was going to give me the money, which is the, the stupidest deal ever. But you got to go through these things to learn what not to do. Then we started the kind of brainstorming and he realized, you know what, he doesn't know that much about course production. So we'll get another company involved. And this was another company called Genflow that creates products and brands for influencers. And I think they're very good at what they do. They do, um, or at the time they were doing kind of fitness influencer apps and yoga mats and things like that. And I think they were interested in experimenting with other kind of niches but unfortunately they didn't have much experience in that so what ended up happening was we made a really poorly produced pronunciation course I wasn't particularly happy with it they had a, a certain percentage profit cut and it just wasn't great like we released this course I wrote it all myself did all the work myself we didn't really have correct proofreading exercise building we didn't have a proper email campaign we didn't have a sales page when we launched but again I had nothing I remember to seeing it this again and you showed me what you had I was like what the fuck is this like <laughs> I was yeah, I was so good. appalled it was awful yeah but we were appalled and excited as well like imagine what we could do with this yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't good at all in fact I hope that someone has like web archived it uh, because I would like to see oh, it again. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What's that tool called? Wayback Way Machine. Wayback like Machine. I really hope someone did do that. Uh, yeah, it, it performed relatively well. I mean, I was really chuffed with the revenue we made from it. But then I started talking to other people in my industry, uh, in the English teaching industry that are making courses. And I suddenly had this, oh, shit feeling, like massive FOMO. You know, people with kind of, five percent of my audience are making three times as much per launch mm. I think I've messed up on this massive opportunity what was also happening at the time is that my home life wasn't particularly happy not with my husband Will who I now work with Will was a farmer and stuff wasn't going very well on the farm and we were considering leaving it and so we ended up thinking let's leave we had to leave let's leave let's start working together Let's buy my old business partner manager out of the business and just go at it alone. And this happened around the time that I met you at the DCX London event in 2021 or DC, not, not DCX London. Is that the one? Yeah. <laughs> I'll give the background on this for everybody. So uh, I organized a conference in London and part Lucy and I are both part of a network called the DC dynamite circle. And it's a great forum it's great network for people running businesses online go check it out uh, dynamitecircle.com i think is the website and 
so there was like 70 of us at this this conference and what happened is we told the the central team that we were planning on putting on the conference and that you know like you got ted conferences and tedx you got dc ones and dcx so i run the dcx community run event and the central team had told us we couldn't call it dcx london because they felt the covid was still not completely finished and they weren't sure about liability and so we were supposed to call it the unofficial london event and we were like well that's the stupidest idea i've ever heard so we decided instead of calling it dcx london we would call it not dcx london because we're kind of snarky and then to make it extra snarky we put the not in brackets so we had not dcx london logo we had not dcx london t-shirts not dcx london stickers made the whole kit and caboodle and that's where i met lucy that is so cheeky did you get any sort of backlash like, no because you're, you're all so adorable <laughs> as well they couldn't be cross with you could they and it was such a good event yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no I think so that uh, the guy who who said that we weren't allowed to do that realized later that he'd made a mistake and he apologized about it oh. so no they they didn't we didn't get backlash from them they just glad they didn't get backlash from us <laughs> we're like the biggest dc fans we run like so much of this the london community it's like come on guys just let us call it dcx london anyway it's all yeah it's all fine yeah no yeah so uh I kept the sticker. Go on. you kept the sticker no i just said i kept the sticker yeah yeah i might have a pack in the drawer somewhere so what was it about that what was it at the conference that made you think oh i need to work with john and his guys on this well, before this conference, I'd never really had much contact with other course creators, people that I, I had no idea who to ask or who to talk to about this type of thing, which is why I went in completely the wrong direction before. I was also really burnt at the time. I had received quite a lot of backlash online. It was in COVID and everyone was at home at their computers and everyone was really, really angry on the internet. <laughs> and um, I received some backlash. And I just felt pretty hated in the community. There was a lot of calling out going on and kind of accusations of native speakerism, which is not something I had never intended to do, but I can see how my videos were perceived that way. And I kind of had like backed away from connecting with anyone else in the English teaching industry or course creation industry. And then I felt really, really lonely because personal life wasn't going well work life wasn't going well I was also working on my own at this point it was just me and a freelance editor and I eventually reached out to Shona who I had met at an influencer event years before Shona John's very good friend also runs the DC London events but she also runs perfectenglishgrammar.com which is a grammar website that I'd used for years and if you've ever googled any grammar term ever then <laughs> Shona's website is the first one that came up for you and you did use it but she's a really really lovely person I remember getting this really warm vibe from her and um, I just reached out to her and said Shona this is a weird message out of the blue I'm feeling really lonely I'm feeling really like disconnected from everyone do you know any nice, safe, non-cancelly people <laughs> that I can talk to and ask, you know, help me get my my head around certain things? And she said, yeah, this, this DC event is coming up this summer. I think you should join. I think you'll really like it. So I joined. That was in the June. I met you there and you did your infamous funnel talk. I don't know if you want to give people an introduction to the funnel talk. because If anybody wants to see the funnel talk, there's a version of it. You go to datadrivenmarketing.co slash webinar and you can you can sign up there and watch the watch the talk. It's a really good talk. 
And I think you weren't even meant to do it at that event, were you? It was just someone had pulled out and you were yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. we can funnel talk. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, whoever pulled out. <laughs> I didn't want to hear your stuff anyway. <laughs> I watched this funnel talk and this was my first ever corporate, not corporate because DC isn't corporate. This was my first ever like real business event I'd been to. And I felt, I felt a bit ridiculous there. I like put on a nice dress and I sat there and it was it was a lot of men and I thought this I don't know if this event was for me then all the talks started and I was like this event is so for me it couldn't be more for me and um then your final talk went on and I just after hearing about the order bumps the upsells and the passion with which you delivered it and the kind of the humor that you injected into it I just thought I need to work with this person so I think it was at like the final drinks because uh, it was a two-day event I think like three-night event and um, I just said look this is my situation you asked me how much money I was making which was really not very much at all I wasn't really promoting the course I was just going from people who were landing on my website and buying randomly you asked me how much money I'd like to make and um, I told you what I thought was like an extremely inflated figure and John just laughed in my face, like, continuously for too long. <laughs> it was a proper, like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I was when just Lucy... clutching my Aperol spritz, like, oh, <laughs> When Lucy, talk, Lucy gave a uh, talk about this, about our business at the uh, DCX London event this year, and when she did and she told everybody that I'd laughed in her face, everyone's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. That sounds like John. <laughs> well, the funniest thing is, I think it caught you off guard and you did a really loud laugh, but then I pointed at you and I was like, yeah, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um, oh. it was a good moment. Yeah, I and, told uh, Lucy yeah, that laughed. the amount of money that she wanted to make, I told her there was no way she was going to make that little money, that she was going to make at least three times that. And I was wrong. Her first month, she made five times that and has never gone lower than that again since, which was already obviously a lot more than her goal was obviously a lot more than what she was currently making. So, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, some months we've we've made 50 times that, which is mental. Mm. I can't believe how low my expectations were. I felt greedy saying that number at first. I really did. But yeah, it's um, so John said, well, look, I've got this program. It's an eight week program. I asked you about your program. Yeah. And you said, it's an eight week program. You go through this course and then there are support calls and things like this. And I, so I signed up for it immediately. And it was at this very point that we were leaving the farm. Will, my husband and I were starting to work together. Will had no experience in this kind of industry. All he knew was farming. It was a huge jump for him. We kind of had no other choice at the time. And the amazing thing was that we, our first kind of, work together was attending these calls and going through this course program and we were both so new to this and um we I don't really think apart from the odd holiday I don't really think we ever missed a call it was these weekly calls with Josip who I always get his position wrong what is he to you oh yeah what we sometimes give him different names to wind him up I call him the head of delivery if you talk to Kyle who's the copywriter who writes all of our marketing copy then he calls him I think chief funnel engineer something like that and Yosip Yosip hates that so we try and use that whenever possible 
I like that. <laughs> I've heard Will refer to him as Statman. Statman. Yosip's like this yeah. outrageous, incredibly clever, very analytical, incredibly switched on guy who he runs all of the, the work from the delivery side here at Data Driven Marketing. He does all the leads on the client projects for done for you. He leads um, a lot of the calls for the group coaching program. He built a lot of the group coaching program out. And he and I like to try and wind each other up as much as we possibly can at all possible opportunities. Yeah, He's been on I the podcast. One... You may have heard him before. That's one thing that I love about the program. I didn't realize how much, like, obviously your funnels talk was really entertaining, but you know, the, the videos, they give you exactly the information you need in a really efficient way, but the calls, they're sometimes hilarious. Like we're just all in stitches. Both have very, very dry senses of humor. Yeah, so we went through this program together, never really missed a call. We basically set some goals at the beginning of the year and said, if we're going to do this, we're going to 100% commit. And we just knuckled down. And in 18 months, we had built everything that we should have built over the past three to five years. So we filmed 425 full-length course videos. We produced 12 30-day challenges or with videos. We produced three-month level courses, B1, B2, and C1, with curriculum designers, all with um, 60 to 70 videos per go. We hired a team of 15. <laughs> we traveled loads. It was literally the best year ever. And we absolutely smashed that initial revenue target. And it's just taken us into this new stage of life and business where we're just so excited. We haven't lost momentum. It's still really, really exciting because we were both floaters, not in the toilet sense. Just <laughs> We were just floaty people. <laughs> I don't mean that. I meant like we just floated through life. Will was just on the farm doing everything his dad said. I had like had this lucky encounter with a YouTube channel and was just doing my one video a week on my own with a freelance editor taking on, you know, sponsorships. I'm doing myself a disservice probably, but I was kind of just trundling along, thought I was going to be a farmer's wife. And then we just had this pivotal moment where we made shit happen and we realized we could do it. And now I can't wait to do it with Will again for the next stage of, of business. Nice. So talk everybody through what is it that actually working in the instant course sales program, working with Yosip, what, what is the specifics of what that has done for you? What was the steps that you put into place every month from that? Oh, there's so much. So I think we realized our biggest problem and we kind of knew it from the start. It was a two-pronged thing, basically. One, we didn't like the one course that we had. And two, we didn't have any other courses. So we, in the course program, there's a lot of the course program that we couldn't do until we produced more courses because we were going through the program and we saw all the information about order bumps, upsells, tripwires, really exciting. But if you've got one course that you're not that happy with uh, you're going to have to either massively improve that and create a few more things or just create a new course ecosystem so for us at first it was more the support in the weekly calls to make our first hires um to know where to look to learn from your sops um to contact a curriculum designer and work with her we worked with mariana pena who was your recommendation and she was fabulous and then 
building our sales pages for those, getting those up and running. And then once we had a few to work with, we could then start doing the twice monthly promotions, which were amazing. It felt like far too much at the beginning, but it was so incredible to see how quickly us and our audience adapted to that kind of model. We give away a hell of a lot of free content and very valuable content, but then we are also not afraid to do frequent promotions and um, it works really well for us. We take the occasional breaks. We probably do like 18 promos a year um, and they felt like a lot of effort, a lot of copywriting at first, but as we hire and we've, you know, we can reuse emails, we've hired a copywriter, things like that, things have, have got a lot easier. So working through that and learning how to, it wasn't, I was taught in the program exactly how to create the courses. It was the support. So every question, how do I set up this sales page? How do I hire the right person? What interview questions should I ask them? Oh, I've got someone difficult working for us at the moment. What do I do? And it was just every kind of bit of support along the way, being in a group of like-minded people who had been through similar things who are maybe like slightly ahead of us or we'd been through it and we could give them advice that was really good then eventually we set up our welcome sequence and our tripwire and that was awesome yeah the actual course content and the instant sales program was amazing to kind of get us to grips with all of the language what is an order bump what is an upsell but it was definitely the support and Yosip's knowledge and Monica's copywriting knowledge more than anything else that we found really valuable. Nice. Talk everybody through how that was kind of useful for you. So you've got the calls with Yosip once a week. What parts was that useful for and what parts and how did you interact then with Monica as well? Because you're not on the calls normally with Monica, are you? No. So we, there are two calls a day. There's like a, for our time zone, it's really early morning one or an afternoon one. And the really early morning one worked well for us. Um, We didn't realize it at the time, but one is with Yosip, the others with Monica. So Yosip, his main thing that he taught us, and this was so important for Will, was how to do the tracking and KPIs. In fact, that's something I'd forgotten to mention because Will completely takes control of that now. And it was so funny because Will was a farmer before and he had never looked at a spreadsheet in his life basically and then suddenly he was presented with all these numbers and he was amazing at it Uh, and it took him a while to get to grips with it but Yosip kind of gave him these templates he would what I really liked was it was within the group it was figures on the table we immediately said anyone who's in this group we don't mind if you look at our revenue we find it really inspiring to see yours I hope you find it inspiring to see ours. And um, we'd pull up these spreadsheets and Yosef was saying like, oh, you should do this differently. You should put that there. This isn't working. Then he'd also analyze the figures with us. And that was really cool. And it was really interesting to, in a group, see how a professional genius professional genius oh he'll love that don't don't tell him i said that no i won't (laughs) (laughs) and then monica she would really help with the um yosip would help with the sales pages from like a technical standpoint with like in general this should go here this should be here and like split testing and stuff like that but monica's a wordsmith and would go through our email promos, our sales pages, things like that. I would, when I was available at the right time on a Thursday, I would hop into her, her calls every now and again. Sometimes I'd do two in a day. I'd do Yosip's in the morning, then Monica's. First, I felt like it was naughty, but no one cared. <laughs> so, 
yeah and um she I think first we it helped us to train ourselves to be good copywriters and now we're putting our teachers through copywriting training and guiding them and I think it's so important with both of these things copywriting and KPIs is that we had to do it ourselves first and I heard Julie yeah Julian from measure school mentioned the other day about how important it is to do your tracking yourself not imme- and don't immediately mm. uh, automate it because otherwise you're not going to really fully understand it and I've had this experience with Facebook ads and tracking on that side I've let another team do it and I'm none the wiser and I can't just hop in and see it like a red flag or anything like that so I'm really really pleased we did that kind of DIY approach to analytics and copywriting first so then we understood it and then we could start making the right hires and now that you've managed to increase your revenue dramatically and you've you've got all these systems in place and you've got this whole team 15 people what kind of change has that had for your life oh my god I think the first thing is that just really happy and we both weren't before I you know, not to go too deep, but we were both, we were both pretty miserable. We didn't really realize how miserable we were because we had nothing to compare it with. But we were stuck in Bedfordshire. <laughs> no hate on Bedfordshire, <laughs> but it's pretty flat. <laughs> Bedfordshire is lovely, everybody. It's just it's maybe yeah, it's not the Cotswolds, fine. you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were both miserable because we didn't really have any satisfaction, and my only like sense of achievement was how much of a brand deal I'd got or how many subscribers I'd got and actually now it's so rewarding um, managing a team creating products that help tens of thousands of people that we genuinely love like Will sometimes has to physically restrain me from giving away free courses when I meet people because I just want everyone to take them because I like them so much and we've got them down to a fine art and all the team are really passionate about them and always trying to make the exercises in as interactive as possible and as our revenue grows we can invest more into the production of them yeah and that that's been amazing we're really happy obviously with revenue you get to kind of level up your lifestyle a little bit try not to go too hard for us it means that we get to travel so when we were on the farm we had two week window in November where we could go away we had to pick somewhere that was nice in November we went away and then I remember always the day I came back I was like oh only 356 days or whatever (laughs) until the next one and now our team is completely remote we can work from anywhere pretty much when we're not in course production mode obviously I have to be here to record a lot of the videos but we're coming to the end of that now and we can pop away we can work from somewhere else I think Will had been to like four countries in his life before we started to work together and now he's been to like 15 (laughs) it's really cool and also for me it's the people I've met because as you get deeper and deeper into it you meet more and more people you have more and more interesting conversations and get to go to more and more events like the DC. We recently went to um, Baby Bathwater, which was really cool. I've been to other language course creator masterminds. And you end up slightly blurring those lines between business and pleasure, but I think it's a good thing to do. Beautiful. If anybody's heard you talk and they want to go check out your courses, they're, uh, they, want to, <laughs> they want to take some English with Lucy courses, where do they go? 
Well, if they've understood all of this, they definitely need the need C1 it. advanced <laughs> program. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, it could be a really good option for a team member that you're trying to train up. We try to, uh, all our courses are self-study with teacher support and communities and feedback options. Um, so they're quite good to fit around um, kind of remote remote work. Go to englishwithlucy.com and you can see all the courses there. Perfect. If you found this interview useful and you want to get future episodes, subscribe wherever you listened. Thanks so much for listening in today. Really appreciate your time. And Lucy, thank you so much for sharing your time and uh, your journey with everybody. Thanks for having me. And also thanks for helping us out along the way. We are a lot to you. You're very welcome. No worries at all.